that song by the British songwriter James Morrison, taps into a nostalgia that I think we all have, a longing for the innocence of life. Do you remember? For some of us, it seems like just yesterday. Others of us need to look at pictures to remember. <laughs> but we had this sense that everything was was good and everything could only get better and our imagination soared. We dreamed more, we believed more and, and we didn't just watch the Olympics, we were in the Olympics. And if it's the Winter Olympics and you grew up in the North, maybe in the backyard you'd, you'd do the luge or the ski jump or if you grew up in Texas you would just have to use your imagination even more. <laughs> but the world was full of possibilities and there's something so beautiful about the innocence of children I have a, a couple of images. A, uh, a little girl was asked, uh, what do you want to do when you grow up? And let me show you what she put. When I grow up, I want to be like mommy. Now, the mom saw this picture and felt she needed to explain this to the teacher. <laughs> See, the mom works at Home Depot and had the last shovel. And everybody was excited for the last shovel because it just snowed. I think it's important to clarify. <laughs> or how about this one? Little boy, what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, when I was three, I wanted to be a dad. When I was four, I wanted to be a toy des designer. When I was five, I wanted to be a video game maker, but now that I'm five and a half, I know I want to be a ninja chef. <laughs> and apparently, Monday through Thursday, he's a chef, but Fridays are reserved for ninja. <laughs> when we were young, the... the possibilities were endless, and we trusted everyone, and if you think about it, we were born to trust. Life was intrinsically meant to be that way, but it doesn't take long for innocence to be stripped away. We start to realize not everyone can be trusted, that dreams get shattered. We try to fly, and we break our leg. We all have experienced the hurts and disappointments the evils of life, and it ends up stealing our innocence. And if we're honest, we can't help but wonder in those moments, well, where is God in the midst of all of this? And today, that's what we're talking about as we wrap up the series called Get a New God. It's important that we understand our image of God actually is a filter through which we see everything. Nothing shapes us more. Nothing shapes more how we view ourselves, how we interpret what happens to us, or determines who we become and what we do than our view of God. Some of us, if we're not careful, we have painted God with the face of those who stole our innocence or hurt us or confused us or abused us. And what we want to do today, even as we've done through the last several weeks, is we want to strip away all the misconceptions, preconceived notions of what we think about God, what others have done to us badly representing God, and actually understand who God revealed himself to be for 4,000 years through the scriptures and ultimately in the person of Jesus. So let's review. Exodus 34, God tells Moses his name and who he's really like. Exodus 34, the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, I am the Lord. The God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. This is a 
phrase used to describe God seven times throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. And there's no difference in the character of the God of the Old Testament and Jesus, God among us. And so it's important for us to remember that, that this is the long versions of, of God's name. I am was his first declaration of his name. I am the one who was and is and is to come, the self-existent one, the one who's always been here and will always be here, the life force sustaining every heartbeat, the only God. And then the longer version of his name includes this idea that he is compassionate. It comes from the Hebrew word for womb. God is like a loving mother who can't forget the children that he created. I am merciful. God bends down and gives us love and grace even though we don't deserve it. God is slow to anger. Always appropriate with his anger. And we should be glad because a good parent gets angry when evil is attacking or hurting his or her child. And God is faithful, overflowing with covenant love and faithfulness. A love that never runs out, never diminishes, no matter what. It's not based on what you do or don't do, but it's based on his character. You see, God is love. God is everything we long for. So in week one, John Burke, our senior pastor, introduced us to a, a quick little assessment. I'm going to put it back on the screen. And my hope is that you've made progress in your view of God, that your view of God may have shifted. But just honestly, in your own heart, Try to answer these questions. When I think about God, I feel. When I have to trust God, I feel. When I think about God, I wish he would. Sometimes I get angry at God when it frustrates me when God. The one thing I would change about myself to please God is one thing that frightens me about God is the one thing I'm afraid God will do is. Perhaps your view has changed over the last few weeks. I hope so. But I, I need to say that God is who and what we long for most, even if we don't realize it. So when we get glimpses of God's goodness and God's power through his creation, through the, the blessings that we have received, we... We just catch glimpses, but one day we will be in the presence of the creator of the universe, the, ones who, the one who created the galaxies and the stars and the planets and the plants and the animals and every person that's ever lived. And then in his presence, we'll be overwhelmed with his beauty, with his power, with his majesty, and we will not be able to do anything other than worship, be in awe, praise him for who he is. That's the essence of who God is, worthy of our honor, our awe, our worship. Sometimes if I find myself going into a dark place or in a rut, I, I try to worship God by thinking of all the good gifts that he's given me. And it's amazing how sometimes it, 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 it doesn't seem like there's a lot of good but the longer you press in to the goodness of God, you realize what a gift it is in spite of some of the damaging things that we've experienced. What a gift so many different things have been in our life. 
The scriptures tell us in James 1, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God the Father. And see, when we worship God in this way, when we fill our heart with gratitude, remembering all the good gifts he's given us, it actually realigns our heart with who he really is so that we are motivated to live a new kind of life, to live according to his ways because of his love that's there for us, whether we live according to his ways or not. But I want you to, this week, take a moment, take uh, several minutes, and, and just do this exercise. Just try to write down everything in life that you like, that you love, that you enjoy. Let that be a time of worshiping God. Now, there's one last description of God that's very important in Exodus 34. We'll read the whole passage again. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, a rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. You see, God is just, and intrinsically, deep down, we want justice. I mean, I can think of many friends who are atheists who do not believe in God because they're mad at him for the injustices they see all around. Inside, we want justice. We know that things are not right and need to be made right. We don't want the guilty to be excused, especially if they've harmed us or harmed others. Something's wrong. Our innocence has been stolen away. And the reason is because we've gone our own way. See, God in his love and mercy, he, he tries to warn us, but we don't listen. To the ancient Israelites and all of us, he says through the prophet and king David, these words in Psalm 81. For it was I, the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it with good things. But no, my people wouldn't listen. Israel did not want me around, so I let them follow their own stubborn desires, living according to their own ideas. Oh, that my people would listen to me. Oh, that Israel would follow me. Do you, do you hear God's heart? He wants to give us good things. But when we are stubborn and we push God to the periphery, He gives us what we want. He lets us go our own way. And the consequences that he warns us about end up being what we experience. See, God is, is giving us what we want. When we're saying, my will be done, he's warning us that it doesn't just affect us. It's not just destructive for us, but it can be destructive for everyone around us and those that come after us. See, because God is loving, he gave us a free will to choose to love to follow him in his way or to reject. See, love is God's ultimate purpose in creating us to experience his love as his loving children forever. But love must be free to choose. And the worst effect of the evil that we give into is that it actually separates us from the one who created us, the one who loves us. And for justice to prevail eternally, those who don't want God's will and ways do not live in his kingdom of freedom. 
because they are given what they want. So, so in this moment, in this passage of Scripture, God is showing us a spiritual law. See, laws have consequences if you ignore them. And he lets us experience these consequences in hopes that we will learn and want to follow his will and his ways freely. See, I can ignore the law of gravity and think I can fly, but it would only take one jump as the Cape Crusader to realize I cannot. Gravity will win. See, in Exodus 34, God is giving us a spiritual law. It's actually to protect us. It's a warning. He's saying, if you go against my ways, it doesn't just affect you. It will affect your children and your children's children and generations to come. But he's not saying this punitively. This is preventatively trying to warn us of consequences. When you think of your family, can you think of some of the consequences that have been passed down even to you? Yesterday, I was in San Antonio, which is where both my parents were born and grew up, where my grandparents met. And I, I want to tell you a, a little story about my grandfather, Howard Snar, Howard Milton Snar Sr. We have a picture of him. There he is. He passed away about 12 years ago, and I love my grandfather. We called him Papa. And I remember as a kid starting to realize that not everything was perfect in my family. I remember sitting in front of the TV there in San Antonio on Lively Avenue where they lived. And my grandfather would shout out, hey, get out of the way. Your daddy was not a glass maker for years. I mean, I didn't understand what that even meant until I was an adult. It means I'm not see-through. My dad does not make glass babies, right? But he liked to watch TV all the time, and my mom liked to have TV going all the time, and even I struggle, even to this day, with not wanting to turn the TV on as soon as I get home. My grandfather, he loved to eat. One of his favorite things is ice cream, and he would always get it with whipped cream on top, which he called calf slobber. I think he may have called it that so the rest of us would not want any. But he was a friend to every waiter and restaurant owner who knew him on a first-name basis, and it was always a little bit embarrassing to go to the restaurant with him because he was a little louder than I wanted him to be, a little more flirtatious with his waitresses than I wanted him to be. I remember playing cards. I mean, my grandparents taught me games like spades and canasta when I was a kid, and we'd have so much fun until we didn't. When he got a hand he didn't like and threw it across the table and said words that I was not allowed to say. My grandfather said things to my mom I wish he hadn't. There were many times, even as a kid, I would see him make her cry. There were magazines under his bed that I wish he didn't have there. I wish I hadn't found them when I was in middle school. Before I was even born, my mom, the oldest of two, would tell me that he would get angry when he was drunk, and he was drunk a lot. He struggled with addiction, and he was even angrier than usual. And just after she had moved out of the house, when my uncle was still in middle school, he had a nervous breakdown after years of covering up the brokenness in his own heart. Now, some say I look a lot like my grandfather, and the more I eat ice cream with calf slobber, the more I do look like him. 
Now, although sin being passed down from generation to generation sounds like an unfair punishment, in actuality, we are being warned that the decisions that we make actually affect our children and children's children. In addition, as we grow up, we can literally see in front of us what to avoid. Because generational struggles are passed from one to the next, we can see what's coming if we aren't careful, if we don't go according to God's ways. And that's why my mother decided not to drink. And I grew up without parents drinking. And because I'm cheap, by the time I was old enough, I had no interest. (laughs) But I'd also discovered I had an addictive personality. And, And if I had started to drink, I probably would have the same issues as my grandfather. Uh, One of the times I realized I have an addictive personality is my first time to go to Krispy Kreme Donuts. (laughs) The first time I had a Krispy Kreme Donut, it turned into seven. And I remember my wife looking over at me very concerned. Aren't you going to stop? And I said, yes, when they're no longer warm. (laughs) Now, some of us struggle with even believing in God because of the family in which we were born into. But have you ever considered that God loves your family so much that he placed you in that family so that you might find healing in him and bring that healing to everyone who's older than you and everyone that comes after you? This past week, I was in Florida at an event because we here at Gateway South are hosting the Global Leadership Summit in August. If you've never heard of this, it's an amazing event. 500,000 people from around the world will be watching. It's going to be incredible. We'll give you more details soon, but as far as I can tell, I think we're the first ever church south of the river in Austin to host this event. So it's going to be very exciting. We'll tell you all about it. Now, we're at this event, and they have this kind of special um, dessert time, and we're outside, and, and somebody talks about this ice cream made out of liquid nitrogen. Have you ever heard of this? I had never heard of this. And then I heard someone say, I heard it's fat-free and sugar-free. So I got in line. I probably would have gotten in line anyway. And for 30 minutes, I waited, and you could just see the steam. You know, every time they were making this ice cream, the liquid nitrogen would just explode. And people were coming away, and you could just see it's, they were transformed by the, the taste. <laughs> And for 30 minutes as we waited in line, I couldn't wait to get up to the front when finally I, I chose my flavor, cinnamon honey, because they said it tastes like cinnamon toast crunch without the crunch. And it was delicious. It was amazing. And it was fun. I was there with some friends I knew back in my days in Los Angeles. So after catching up with them, I went to bed and two hours later, I woke up with a horrible stomach ache. Terrible stomach ache. And it was in that moment, about one o'clock in the morning in Florida, that I thought to myself, wait a minute. I don't eat ice cream anymore before bed. It makes me sick. (laughs) I literally haven't done that for years. I've realized this many years ago that I cannot eat that much sugar. And then I reminded myself, wait a minute, I'm fasting from sugar for Lent. (laughs) How could I be in that line for 30 minutes? And not remember. And then as we get to the front, I saw her grab a chocolate syrup you know, bottle and squirt it into this bowl. I know that's not sugar-free. <laughs> How did this not 
enter my mind. And then I was even reminded as I laid there for two hours with this horrible stomach ache that earlier that day I had this thought. A, a random Bible verse had come to my mind. It's this one. So what, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Here, put, put it up on the screen. So whether you eat or drink or do whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. All throughout the day, there were simply moments of warning that I ignored. And God gave me what I wanted. And it made me sick. Now, I eventually was able to go back to sleep that night. But the next night, I was so exhausted from such a restful night sleep the night before that I, I, I texted my family. I was in Florida, as I said, and it was... 8 o'clock there, 7 o'clock here, and I texted him and said, hey, I'm going to bed a little early. And my thoughts are, I could sleep nine hours before I have to get up at 4 to go get on the flight to come back. So I go to bed at 8 o'clock, which is 7 o'clock here. And I woke up at midnight here, wide awake, laying there for about three hours before I finally decided to go get ready, get on the plane. That tiny little cup of ice cream almost ruined my entire weekend. And I knew going in, I should have known better. How many times does God warn us and warn us? See, the consequences aren't punitive. When God warns us, he's actually being preventative. See, my grandfather had inherited some bad traits, and my mom had to make some decisions in order to avoid going down the same path. And I've had to make some decisions in order to avoid going down the same path. See, with God's guidance, I'm, I'm realizing that I had a fear growing up of becoming like my grandfather. But with God's help, I've been able to break some of the chains. Even as I've seen some of the other struggles that my family in my kids. See, some of us have had angry or abusive parents. And God wants to reparent you, to restore your innocence so you don't pass on that anger and rage and emotional deadness to your kids. Some of us had codependent mothers who emotionally controlled us. God wants to be that compassionate mom to reparent you so that you might experience freedom. Some of us had parents or grandparents who are addicted or alcoholic, and maybe you fight that same struggle, or maybe you married someone with that struggle, almost as if subconsciously trying to work that out. But God can heal you of that struggle and make you new. God can heal your marriage and end the chain with you. If you don't believe, God, that our wrongs have a ripple effect that we can't always see, then we'll be destined to actually pass it on. Billy Graham, as you know, recently passed away, and this past week he was buried in a funeral. Now, he was the first religious leader and the first civilian since Rosa Parks to lay in honor at the U.S. Capitol Rotunda. He spoke to over 200 million people in person about the love of Jesus, millions more through film and television. But he once said this, modern mankind does not like to think of God in terms of wrath, anger, and judgment. He likes to make God according to his own ideas and give God the characteristics he wants him to possess so that he can make himself comfortable in his sin and struggle. This modern God has the attributes of love, mercy, and forgiveness, but is without justice. So here's the catch. If God 
is not just, in reality, we wouldn't want to follow him. See, God warns about his coming wrath, and this can confuse us because he himself described himself as forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but not letting the guilty go unpunished. So what is God's wrath about? How is that consistent with a loving, merciful, compassionate, and faithful, grace-giving God? Well, it's completely consistent. See, God gets angry seeing evil actions spreading to hurt people he loves. Just like a father wanting to protect his daughters. That's the wrath of God. See, wrath is defined as this. The emotional response to perceived wrong and injustice. Both humans and God express wrath, but there's a vast difference in how God and humans convey that emotional feeling. See, God's wrath is holy and always justified and patient with our wrongs. Ours is rarely patient. Our wrath is almost never justified. See, but God just doesn't seem to just punish right away, and that can trouble us when people are doing such evil things and seem to get away with it. So where is God in this justice? Well, listen to what Peter, Jesus' disciple, says. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent, to turn back to him. See, justice says the cost of sin is death. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. And death means separation. See, God is just. He made us all. If he made us all pay immediately, then we'd all be separated from God forever. But God loves us like his own children. And so on the cross, God's justice met God's love. Jesus paid for us. He was condemned in our place. Jesus experienced physical and spiritual death that we deserve. But he overcame the ultimate consequence of death by coming back to life. I want you to think of it, of God's being as like a, a holy fire. It, it creates light and warmth, but if we're too close, it could burn. And, and as that beam of light is coming towards us, God, the source of that light, jumps in front of us, exhausting evil himself. There's this quote by Tim Mackey of the Bible Project. I highly recommend a video they do called The Day of the Lord. He says this, Jesus was going to let evil exhaust all of its power on him, using its only real weapon, death. See, Jesus knew that God's love and life were even more powerful, that he could overcome evil by becoming the ultimate sacrifice for all of humanity, giving his life in an act of love and something changed that day. When Jesus defeated evil, he opened up a new way for anyone to escape from the evil of this world and discover this new kind of power, this new way of being human. Listen to this beautiful description of, in Romans 8. I'm going to skip down to verse 15 and 16. It says this. If you can skip down a couple more slides there, sorry. You received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. 
for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. See, when we acknowledge in humility, I need your forgiveness, God. I need what you did for me on the cross to count for the choices that I've made. Rather than in pride saying, I don't need forgiveness. I don't want what you did to count for me. But in humility, when we ask for forgiveness, his spirit comes to live within us and guide us. And we are his children. That word Abba is a fascinating word. You know what it means? Daddy. When you and I say yes to God, we not only experience forgiveness, we become his child. We have a new daddy who loves us, who wants to parent us, to protect us. Will also let us go our own way. But is always there for us when we're ready to turn back. Last month, one of our own, Michael, got baptized. I want you to hear his story. Because today we're celebrating baptism. And I want you to consider if that might be your next step. Maybe there's been a time in your life when you've acknowledged you need God's forgiveness, but that was something so personal, but, but not something that you've shared with others, that you've let God's family celebrate with you. See, baptism is symbolic of dying to your old life and being raised to walk a new life. It's symbolic of being cleansed of all of your sin because of his love for you, his death on the cross. And if you've already been baptized as a child, if that was a decision your parents made, this is not renouncing that. This is actually a fulfillment of that desire that you might have faith. If you already baptized sometime in the past and you meant it, there's no reason to be rebaptized. But in this moment, for some of us, that is a marker to say, God, I need new life. So let's watch Michael as he shares his story. My name is Michael, and this is my story. I found out that my mom was sick, terminally. Uh, doctors gave her about three months to live, and it was a sudden shock. I dove heavily into alcohol and used drugs to numb up myself. And uh, after those three months came and went, uh, my prayers and her prayers were answered by her getting the transplant that she needed. And doctors still weren't optimistic that it would do good. Um, but I noticed after these past nine years that she's been, past the three months that they gave her, that there was something higher. There was something in my life that was explaining, you're not alone, you're not. And today was a very, spiritual and uplifting day. Um, my mom flew in from Mississippi to watch this baptism, which I knew needed to come. And uh, the relief, the friendships, the I'm overwhelmed by the joy that, that's been given to me in the new life that I know could come by following his ways. I realize I don't need to be anywhere else. I need to I need to be here. I need to be with Gateway, the people who love me and who have shown me the way and also have been the ones to tell me I'm not alone. Not great. You might see Matt in the lobby or at Matt's El Rancho where he works. 
But I want you to consider your next step. In fact, I want to create just a, a, a moment that you might have an opportunity to connect with God personally. And maybe in this moment, you just acknowledge there are things that you've been holding on to or path you've been going down in a certain area of your life. You just want to ask God to forgive you, to reroute you back to where he would have you. Or maybe in this moment is a, a, an opportunity, maybe for the first time, to ask Jesus to forgive you, to become your leader, your Lord, the one who guides you in every area of life. So if you would, just for a moment, with your eyes closed, if that helps you avoid the distractions, just I want to ask you in this moment to just pray in your own heart. Heavenly Father, if there's anyone here who's saying, yes, I need forgiveness, I need a new start, I need you, Jesus, to lead me, that your death on the cross counts for me, that you are no longer in the tomb but alive, and, and I want you to live within me, your spirit. God, give them the courage today to move forward in that relationship, and if it's baptism, God, give them that courage. If there's someone here that's still struggling to believe, God, may their prayer become, God, help me with my unbelief. Show me who you are. God, if there are people here who are following after you but have wandered away in an area or in a particular issue, God, would you give them the courage to start afresh because your love for us is real and because of your love, we want to live new lives. Because of your love, we can live new lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.